Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. My name is Walt, his name is Chase, and we've got one simple goal. That's to bring you the outdoors when you yourself can't be out there. So today we're doing just that. We're still talking deer hunting. We're talking bed hunting in the south. We're talking transition lines and how to scout with efficiency. And uh, we did so with Ricky Bullard. Ricky Bullard is a North Florida native. The dude works really hard, shoots some incredible deer. And actually, come to think of it, I wanted him to tell that story. But I guess that just means we're going to have to have him back on. However, I've got a surprise for you guys. The infamous Iceman is back on the podcast. Dude, how much sleep are you getting right now? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm getting some sleep. Uh, I, just, okay, I just stay okay. busy throughout the days right now. So That's an understatement. Sleep isn't necessarily the issue, but between work and yeah. school and everything else, uh, I'm kind of I'm maxed out right now. But uh, I was able to find some time to uh, hop on this evening, which uh, I've been looking forward to this podcast. We'd talked about doing this podcast for a little while now getting up with uh, ricky so he could talk about some of his bed hunting and it sounds like now's kind of the time to go out and scout uh, for next year as far as beds Um, yeah so definitely i feel like it's a good time to actually drop this podcast for people to be able to listen to and start utilizing some of the tactics right away Absolutely. I mean, I did that just this past weekend. We had a good time chasing pigs, found a lot of fresh rut sign or buck sign. I won't say rut sign, but found a lot of fresh buck sign, did some on the ground scouting. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and listen to it. We talk about how to utilize small game hunting uh, to, to kill deer during the hunt. And I think that's like the most underutilized, you know, opportunity. Everybody's walking around doing postseason scouting. Take a, take a rifle, go with you, hunt squirrels, hunt rabbits, have a good time doing it. And, uh, you might find some things along the way, but uh, this episode is a really good one, and we're going to get you guys to it real quick. I know last week I set a world record with a 33-second intro. We're not going to do that this week, but we got to thank the people who make this ep- the show possible, this episode specifically. And first and foremost, that is our Patreon members. If you don't know what Patreon is and you're interested, Patreon's a crowdfunding source. Chase and I are going to do this podcast no matter what. What Patreon does for us is it allows us to do more of it. It allows us to do bigger gear reviews. It allows us to do more uh, traveling, to do in-person podcasts. Chase and I are going to hunt at least probably the state of Georgia. I've just kind of spoke that into being. We are going to hunt the state of Georgia together. 
those things cost money, gas costs money, and it just allows us to do more of it. So if you like the podcast and you'd like to see more of the things that we're doing, more of the, the gear reviews that I did last year, which I've got a bunch of those lined up, then consider contributing to the podcast. Depending on what tier you sign up for, you can get stickers, hats, entries for different giveaways. We do four quarterly giveaways every year. And this is the thing I'm most excited about. Chase, you've got an update for the, the quarter one giveaway of this year. Yes, I did. I spoke to a good buddy of mine. Uh, he's been on the podcast, Josh Rogers from Longbeard Life, and he has agreed to make us a custom Chasing Tales pot call, kind of like you did for me last year. So that's going to be right. included in uh, this quarter's giveaway. And that's right. we should have that done soon, and we'll be able to post a picture of it. Absolutely. So we're giving away an Alps Grand Slam turkey vest in Bottomland. We're giving away a pot call, a custom Chase and Tails pot call, along with that, just for saying thanks, just for being a supporter of the podcast. We do this four times a year. If you haven't already, check out the show notes, patreon.com forward slash Chasing Tails Outdoors. So with that, why don't we get them to the podcast, dude? Let's do it. All right, on the line, we've got a man who is thoroughly terrorizing the area of northeast florida i think i can say that without giving away any of his spots we'll find out if you don't hear where i said you'll know uh ricky bullard comes on the phone uh dude i am thrilled to have you on 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 the line i've been watching you uh through deer through deer hunting i've heard you on parker mcdonald's podcast um you've been kind enough to to help me with uh some taxidermy tips and i'm just i'm just amped to finally have you on the phone man thanks for taking time out your evening well, I appreciate it, guys. I'm I'm excited to talk to y'all. Always excited to talk about deer hunting, but I'm I'm honored that y'all consider me worthy of speaking with. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, man. I mean, you you got it done in a part of the country. You get it done. It's not just this year. I mean, I think you tend to get it done uh, over a period of time amongst uh, a, a variety of habitats that people tend to struggle in, um, and, and kind of building on uh, unconventional ways of doing it from the last episode where you used small game hunting to kind of put himself on the hot sign. You went about what I think a lot of people would consider unconventional yet very mainstream uh, ways of doing that. And we're going to kind of break into that more later, but uh, why don't you kind of tell everybody who the heck you are, man? Like where, where do you hunt? What, what's your hunting background? Kind of give everybody a four one one. Okay. Yeah. I'm uh, just your average, average guy. Um, I started out hunting, when I pretty much as soon as I could drive my own, I had some both my grandpas uh, were into it. But they, by the time I came along, they were kind of past the age of, of getting out and taking me. So they introduced me to fishing and uh, I had an older cousin who pretty much helped me down the path to get my feet wet into, into hunting and stuff. And uh, yeah, as soon as I could drive, I was burning up the roads here, northeast Florida, southeast Georgia figuring stuff out the hard way, not killing many deer. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, to, for the most part, I've hunted primarily private land with the exception of a few quote hunts until the last, I'd say, probably about five years, I really started hitting public land a lot more, um, learning a lot. I learned a, a lot in the last two years. Um, but, yeah, I just probably what most of your listeners type of habitat they're hunting um, – timber company property um some small leases in southeast georgia very few farm type scenarios but um yeah pretty pretty typical stuff for this area so so were you the kind of guy that uh, every penny you uh you earned you had it allocated to towards some kind of hunting or fishing 
uh, equipment? Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. In my, <laughs> in my my younger, less uh, wise days, I, I cannot say that I did not ever take out a small <laughs> loan to pay for a hunting lease. <laughs> oh wow, there you go. That that is dedication right there. Yeah, that's not not the smartest thing. I wouldn't recommend it to the younger guys. <laughs> as difficult as the public land can be uh i'm sure you just gave a bunch of people something to think about come uh <laughs> while they're eating their tag oh, yeah. soup you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man well what what did those early years look like for you on public land i'm curious maybe we should wait for that but i'm gonna dive right into it oh man um struggle bus honestly i uh, i had two buddies that i i duped into going out to uh um, not going to name the spot, but it's a very large WMA in, in North Florida area. A lot of people hunt it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I saw actually the very first time out there, we went out during bow season and, uh, saw opening day. I saw a ton of people, but I saw a six point and two does never saw another deer on that WMA in the next three years. <laughs> but, wow. uh, it was just, you know, everybody had, knew that could mentor me hunted private leases and um corn piles and and fields in south georgia and they weren't a whole lot of help in you know the public land arena but you know hunted trails and you know learned trial trial by trial by error um a lot back then but yeah i really didn't kill my first deer till i started hunting a little family piece of property um up in south georgia and I was 19, I believe. So I got three or four solid years of busting my head against the wall on public land before I finally killed one. <laughs> I, I think I got to say, it makes me feel really good to hear that. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the first three or four years, I, three, four, two, whatever it was, they were brutal for me. They were really difficult. Yeah, it's uh, it's no joke around. Like, I mean, a lot of people have said this, but there's just you get tips for the midwest and tips for this area are not real you're not gonna get a whole lot of tips from major publications you know magazines tv shows stuff like that until just recently there's been some some youtube stuff uh for this area but still not much for sure in those early years on public land what do you think you did wrong well main thing i wasn't getting around or wasn't getting away from the people okay Um, as much as I needed to, I was, you know, what most guys do first sign you come to, I, I can't tell you how many times I wasted to sit on a rub on the edge of a wide open clear cut <laughs> where I can see my truck, <laughs> um, deep into rival season with those deer had already been getting framed on quite right. a bit. So, um, and then just, I mean, this is something I've learned more in the past couple of years, but sign is only, important if it relates to you know thick cover good bedding if it's you know middle of night sign it's not doing you any good and mm-hmm. i wasted a lot of a lot of years on that stuff sure i still do it sometimes still gets me. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you ever had a hard time differentiate have you ever made the mistake of thinking that something was nighttime sign and then come to find out it you know maybe it was daytime active deer uh yeah absolutely uh for sure i went to kentucky this year and it's it's much different up there i was hunting with the florida mindset when i should have just been 
on the sign as I, as I, as I read it, uh, not looking too far into it because those deer, they're just, they're just different. <laughs> they're, they're a little more willing to move during daylight hours. Yeah. It, I, I think sometimes it's difficult. I mean, it's always a guessing game to an extent, right? Because, you know, I killed my deer this year, my very last year on sign that I've walked past every day for two months, con- convinced it was, <laughs> it was nighttime sign. And, and finally I just, you know, recognized that maybe there was something more to it. And sure enough, uh, deer having to be using it during the daylight, even though it, it was a little more open, right? Like it was adjacent to good cover, but, um, we, we kind of just, I just walked right past it. So I guess I would, pa- I would ask you, what does, what does good nighttime habitat look like for you? Like if you had to summarize it as a cliff, wow. All right. <laughs> if you had to summer, <laughs> what's that? said he's excited yeah he is he's really he's really passionate about thick cover uh (laughs) what he knows well (laughs) if you you had to give somebody the cliff notes a dude walks up to you says hey man i'm having a hard time you keep saying on these different podcasts that you should be hunting daylight or daylight active sign what would you tell him to look for in your area uh if you are standing at that to me um if I'm going to hunt it effectively on public land, if you're standing at that sign and you can't, if you can see, you know, I don't know, it depends on the area, but I'd say if you can see a hundred yards through the, through the woods, it's probably not thick enough unless at that hundred yard mark is a super thick area that you suspect to be bedding. Um, usually uh, from what I learned last year, especially trying to hunt uh, deer beds specifically, if you see that sign and, and you can see the bedding area from that sign, you're probably close enough. <laughs> um, I jumped, I jumped a lot of deer last year. Um, but a lot of, a lot of hunts have paid off. Sometimes I got too close. Sometimes I was just right. But, uh, I mean that, that it's, it's just, it's got, it's gotta be adjacent to the bedding cover. Um, I, I'm, I can't say specific buck bed hunting is super effective down here. I, it, it it's worked for me a few times the last couple of years, but these years they have so many options. Um, you know, they're, I, I would say focusing on bedding areas and the, the sign adjacent to those bedding areas is, is going to be the ticket. So from my experience it, in a, in a habitat as thick as ours, you know, one of the things, I think it was you and I, we talked about this, man. I think we talked about this before. Um, Cause I kind of, uh, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a jerk, but I kind of I kind of didn't believe you when you told me that you were hunting buck beds, right? Because everybody likes to do it. It wasn't that I like I didn't trust you or anything. I was just kind of like disbelief, right? Like it was a general oh, disbelief I, that you could make it happen. I don't blame you. And, I, <laughs> good, good. I wasn't believed it either until it started happening. I was going to edit out whatever you said next if it was anything other than agreement. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> Have you have you noticed that there is a type of cover that they like to bet in more when there's dense cover everywhere? Yeah, so so last year I was hunting a timber company lease and and it was pretty consistent. Every bed I found that was pretty obviously a buck bed is you know not all of them were tore up a sign, but there was always something that's marking their entry and exit. One of them was just completely tore up with rubs all around. There's two or three bedding spots in there. 
but um, it was all something different in those pine rows, um, something that for them to orient to. One wasn't, you know, a, a gum swamp, you know, like a little gum cypress pond in there um, that was actually dry on the edges, and that's that's where they were bedding. And then the other one was on the edge of a big uh, oak strand that ran through pine rows. He was hunting on the dry edge, or he was bedding on the dry edge of that. Um, I mean, every, every every buck I killed was coming off one of those dry edges near water, but it was just something different um, in those that sea of pine rows. I got you. So you're looking at that. Uh, you're looking for a disruptor, something that's just hard, like yeah. sharply different. Transitions, gotcha. Multiple transitions in in one place, but sometimes it's just mm-hmm. a as simple as a cypress pond, and it's the only thing close by, and they're using that. Uh, to orient while they're traveling from what I saw interesting do you think that uh, do you think they're using it um, uh, so like the the pond that you that you hunted my first thought is are they uh, playing the wind as they work around that pond as if it had water I think so obviously okay. I don't know what the deer's thinking but um, you know so uh, like everybody else you know they listen to Dan and fault and I'm thinking you can't do that crap down here. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> So I go out, I got all hardcore about it and I'm like, I'm going to go find deer bed. So I went and found some and I found the hair and I see the rubs and I'm jacked up. I was like, all right. So I didn't put cameras on the beds, but I, I would put them on entry and exits. And sure enough, there's bucks using them, but it was different. It was different bucks. Um, the bigger bucks would were more consistent, but, you know, every once in a while you get a, a four point in there or whatever. But uh, for the most part, it was three and a half or older bucks um, uh, seemed to be that we're using the most. But yeah, he the the very first one I killed, I had him on camera last year, the one that really opened my eyes to it. And I knew I was getting close to the bed that I found, but I thought the odds of him being in that exact bed were slim to none. <laughs> But even so, I waited for a, a, a day where it was a stiff wind blowing like 15 to 20 in my face. I walked in, climbed up, and sure enough, it was 45 minutes before dark. I saw him stand up, and I was just in disbelief until I put an arrow through him. <laughs> um, but uh, that one was the one that was like, man, maybe maybe you can do this. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, they're, they're using these beds, but they're not – to say that they're there every night, it's just – they're, it's not a. It's, I just don't think that's the way it works down here. They got so many options that I think um, they're a lot more likely. There's a lot more likely to be a buck in those spots um, on any given night, but uh, any given day, I guess I should say. But uh, yeah, I, the one. It was the last year I killed last year. It was in December. I. Actually, I didn't see him stand up, but I saw him come out of there, out of the bedding area. That one was like textbook wind-based bedding. He had four different beds in there, and I had several different bucks on camera using that little little bedding area. But, um, yeah, I was, just, I was just waiting for the right wind, and uh, I went in there, and sure enough, one of those bucks happened to be bedded in there. The seven point, that was the last, that was my tag out buck last year, but he, uh, he came out. Um, he didn't exit. He wasn't. He didn't seem to be worried about the wind when he exit, exited the the little swamp head. Um, but I had hunted that same swamp head two weeks prior to that, 
two or three weeks and I heard a deer come in and he, he did like the textbook J hook cause he came right in front of me, but it was pitch black. Um, and he went in there, I heard him bed down and I, I sat all day, never saw him come out of there. But so, you know, some of the stuff that these guys talk about working in the Midwest, I think it does apply here, but you just got to tailor it to the South essentially. I mean, in, in your area more specifically. Yeah, I, I could see that. And it sounds like you're, you can hear yourself, um, relaying what you found, which is that, you know, you're not really hunting a buck bed. You know, Jake Bush came on the podcast. That dude literally has this de- his deer pegged in a certain bed and he's hunting a specific deer in his trail camera. Show that. It sounds like for you, um, and this probably has to do with the abundance of habitat, maybe, um, that, you know, there's a bedding area that you're targeting and that, you know, maybe, maybe the odds of any, any given buck showing up, um, you know, you probably have more of an opportunity, maybe a buffet type of situation than one particular deer. Um, Chase, do you have any of those ponds over there where you're chasing your biggin? Have any what? Any of those like Tupelo gum ponds over where that, that big one is that you're chasing? Uh, not on the private. Um, I do on some of the, uh, the public that I hunt. Um, I, uh, I had a question though. If you're using this tactic for bucks, are you using the same tactics for does during the rut? Yeah, um, somewhat. Uh, so last year, I would not not this past season, but the season before that, when I was on the, the private lease, um, I was actually a morning where I killed. Uh, doubled up on bucks during archery they were chasing the same doe um but that was more of a more of a travel corridor along that that dry edge of the of the flooded swamp um and it's it's just water oaks uh, you know a few cypress trees scattered throughout there it's just a typical swamp strand that they didn't cut um and then they planted all around it but those deer were just traveling the transition just inside the swamp they had a couple trails running parallel to that edge but not out in the open pines, um, if that makes sense. So, you know, that, what I think they were doing is those bucks were just traveling between that swamp edge and those little tupelo um, gum and cypress ponds, and they were just hitting all of them, checking for does. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming they were running that parallel, that trail that was parallel to the pine edge um, and checking the trails crossing in and out of the swamp, um, checking for does crossing their, their main trail. But that's, that's what I, I witnessed them doing. I, the first buck chased a doe past me. I shot him, got down to him. And then I heard grunting coming towards me. I'm, at this point, I'm standing on the ground over the six point I shot and, uh, a seven point chases this doe right back past me. And I get a shot on him, ended up hitting him in the neck and trailing him for half the day, but I found him, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was kind of the strategy I used last year. The stuff I'm on this year is a little bit different. Um, the public is just a slightly different habitat, but kind of the same, kind of the same deal. He was those bucks I killed this past season. They were, or shot, they were, uh, traveling those edges. And then it seemed it, almost like they were treating the edge of the clear cuts or the edge of the the ponds as as a field almost like 
the does were crossing out of the swamp into the into the feeding area, so to speak, like a clear cut, and they were just crossing, checking those cross trails to see if there was a hot doe. Right. Well, I figure the the doe beddings always seems a lot more predictable. Like, as in they're in this, they would be more. I would figure that they would bed in the same area day after day. And if you could find like different doe bedding areas during the rut, then I'm assuming it would kind of work the same way is that you get uh, near those doe bedding areas and you're hoping bucks are going to come cruising past uh, that area. Absolutely. Uh, I, I agree with that. Uh, unfortunately, this, the, uh, the place where I killed my buck at my, my good buck this past season, there was, it's a little bit different. There's a lot of bedding, <laughs> And uh, I couldn't really nail down any specific doe bedding, so I was hunting more pinch points during the rut there. Um, but are was... you are you referencing the place that we mutually hunt? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got you. They've got a lot of places to bed there. Mm-hmm. They do. Just like anywhere else around here, I guess. But you know, I was I was though we're going to keep talking about it in code because I think it's a beautiful place and I want it to myself as much as possible, but. Uh, I, I was actually a bit surprised, honestly, um, at the diversity of transition lines there. I really expected, honestly, I just expected endless rows of pine trees. And I was a bit surprised how many swamps and, and grassy flats and uh, hardwood strands. I mean, it was kind of, I don't know, man, that, that, that place is 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 a little different than some other places in the area where it is just a monotony of pine. Yeah, it is. It is pretty diverse. Compared yeah. To most of the WMAs in the area. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you're, I agree with you. There's a lot of, there's, there's a boatload of bedding cover there. It was just, it was surprising to me. Um, every time I go there, it just, I'm, I'm, I'm more amazed um, and jealous that you live in, with such close proximity to it. And I don't, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's it's a beautiful WMA, and it it would be definitely it would be definitely difficult to pick it apart. I I think places like that, and and this will lead to a question for you. I would lean real heavily on trail cameras. How do you how do you utilize that with regards to you know trying to find buck beds and stuff? So last year when I had the private piece at the the hunting club I was in, I was able to run cameras a lot more. Um, but I did it this year. I took a little bit different approach. I had a different WMA that I wanted to check out it's not the one we were speaking of but i ended up putting the majority of my cameras in there just to let them give a full season soak just to kind of get a big picture for next year i hunted it a few times but but um now i've i've redistributed those cameras just to kind of get an inventory of of some other places and uh just trying to kind of see what bucks survived the season but uh honestly most of the WMAs I hunted this year, I didn't run any cameras. Um, kind of, kind of wish I had, but I just I was I was kind of I trusted myself as far as my scouting. I did a lot of first in hunts, scouting my way in. Um, so I uh, didn't do as much preseason scouting as I did last season. Unfortunately, I, I, I'm a big believer in in scouting before the season, but. I just didn't have the time this year. <laughs> no, and and I can see that. I think. Um, well, I guess I'd ask the question for you now. Going into this upcoming year, are you gonna are you gonna 
am I everywhere? Am I going? Am I going to be waving at uh, your cams or what? I think you already did wave at one. Did I? <laughs> no, I, I don't know for sure. I don't know. For sure. I'm pretty sure you're in the area. I'll let you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've I've got a couple soaking, and uh, I've I definitely plan on using more, um, especially with the the pressure some of these places that we've gotten over this year. Uh, it's almost just as much for people. Like the the one I had them soaking at all season, I learned there was. I had them all in pretty hard to get to spots and there was one that just consistently had had folks on it uh, every weekend and then the other the other few nobody uh so that that's good to know too because it it's it was very obvious whenever the people started coming through um the deer activity on the cameras dropped significantly but it went to zero zero daylight activity mm. so do so, you yeah, i'm definitely going to be using those a lot more this year is your main go-to is your main go-to um, long soaks, or do you move your cameras around a lot? So in, in the past, I've always moved them around a lot. Um, uh, especially last last year, I, I mean, if it, it, I used those little cheap thirty dollars Tascos, I've got a pile of them, and I was moving around like crazy, um, kind of trying to backtrack the bucks, and, and, and it, it definitely helped me out. Um, Especially that that first buck I killed, that big seven point. I, if it wasn't for the camera, uh, moving the camera around, uh, I probably wouldn't have killed him. I mean, I, I had an idea he was in that bed that I found, but I didn't know for sure uh, if that's the one that he was using until I stuck the camera up 100 yards from it and let it soak. Game and hunt and checked it, and that gave me the confidence to sit there and stand all day. Sure, I could see that. We need to. We need to. Um collaborate because i'm probably going to order about five or six more trail cameras just for that one wma and and honestly if i lived closer i'd probably have closer to 15 out there um because i found a boatload of fresh rubs just this past weekend and and scrapes for that matter huge 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 scrapes um yeah and and when i say when i say to you guys you know the listener fresh i'm talking like he the, the the there was still dampness where he had peed inside there and then wrecked a tree next to it so you know at least one deer made it past you ricky oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i know there's a pile of them made it past me I, yeah I, I i had uh I, it was earlier in the season but i found a lot of fresh scrapes with with you know like you just described i think got a couple of videos of some smaller bucks on my phone you know peeing in the scrapes as yeah I was in the stand for sure, but. yeah. It's um, it's an interesting place because it, it just, I'm 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 really ridiculously happy. I grew up in that area and be able to go back and hunt. I mean, it's just it's awesome. But uh, so knowing what you know now, trail camera strategy is there. Are you going to hunt more transition lines since the bedding is harder to figure out and try and hone in from there? How do you how do you break down a new property? Um. First, I start out like like you said. I, I look for obvious transitions, um, any kind of any terrain features that stick out to me is, that are going to cause pinch points. Um, I'm sure everybody else sees them too, but um, at least got to check them out. Those are like my starting points. Um, and then, I honestly, I I get on, I go to those places in the in the spring, and I get on a deer trail, and I just follow it, and it's going to lead you, you know, I'd go from food bedding. To food to bedding to just just hopping around um following those 
heavy deer trails in some places not so heavy deer trails depending on the population but um yeah i essentially just walk out the trails and go to these places where i i think there should be uh there should be deer bedding and, and usually I end up narrowing down i get rolling places out um based off of that but i tend to focus a lot on creek bottoms i guess that's just the the florida hunter in me it's <laughs> the only way to get out of the thick gallbladders and pine rows um some areas but but yeah creek crossings pinch points um clear cuts i've i've definitely under, underestimated clear cuts in the past that's essentially a, a big food plot but oh yeah yeah I, I hunted an area that got cleared, like dang near the whole thing has been cleared and burned. And uh, the amount of deer sign out there and the amount of deer willing to walk out there during the daylight hours has, has really, really surprised me. I, I think, uh, I mean, I killed, I killed that deer in the middle of a, of a, uh, or at the edge, edge of a clear cut. I mean, he was headed towards, you know, wide open space 45 minutes before daylight. Um, which also speaks to the pressure component to it of it, obviously, as well. Um, I had a thought. I had a yeah. natural transition there, and I just lost it. Hold on a second. Oh, dead gummit! I'm getting old, Ricky. It happens. <laughs> I don't even have a kid, man. I was really proud of it. It was an awesome. It was an awesome segue, and I just lost it. Dead gummit. Oh well. We'll move on. So, <laughs> what? I'm curious. Are you a saddle hunter? I am. You no. are. Okay. What? What fanboy tribe do you belong to? Oh, I don't know. Hey, this is, <laughs> I've got a, I've got a DIY saddle. Uh, do you really? Yeah, I, I didn't make it. I got a, I got another brother, firefighter. Um, actually, became pretty good friends. We hunted together all year, but he makes them. Um, and uh, I trust him. He's a he knows ropes and technical rescue stuff, so yeah, mine's a DIY saddle, but I've got a tether platform. Heck yeah, man! Do you feel like uh, do you feel like the we have long since touted that the saddle has an inherent advantage in Florida? Do you and especially like the deep southeast? Do you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I had it last year, but I didn't I didn't dive in head first. But I've honestly I've sat in my climber one time this year, and I sat in my lock on one time. Uh, every other sit's been in the saddle. <laughs> That's awesome. Have you sold your other gear? Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. <laughs> <laughs> Thought about selling my climber, but you never know when you're going to jack up a pine tree 40 feet. So Yeah. You know, Chase said the same thing. Chase prefers, uh, you know, longer shots, I think, probably. Well, I won't speak for him. Chase, what, what what's your stance on saddles and, and when to use them and when you may prefer something else? Uh, I mean, obviously, I prefer saddles during bow season, for sure. Um, I, I don't like them as much when I'm hunting with a gun, uh, especially if the shots are longer. Uh, I just I like the climb. I can get more steady in the climber for some reason, uh, especially um, if it's something quick that I have to do. Uh, a lot of times, I feel like the shots are. I mean, you're going to have quick shots with a gun, and I feel like I can just move faster, get steady faster, uh, with a gun, especially a little bit, uh, longer range. So that, that's usually when I'll use the climber or like Ricky mentioned, if I want to get up in a tree, like 40 feet, 
<laughs> in the air. Yeah. Um, I think, it, I feel like it's just faster <laughs> for me to be able to get up there. Um, but yeah, that, that's usually when I will kind of switch off of the saddle. Some is if I'm going to be doing some long range, uh, rifle yeah, well, or muzzleloader hunting. I got to agree with you. I, honestly, I thought it was going to be just killer with a rifle, you know, prop against the tree, muzzleloader rifle, but, and it, it is, it's, it's pretty good, but like he said, long range, like uh, Jay said, long range, uh, I, I think I'm preferring the climber, but not enough to maybe carry it into some of these spots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I, I missed a deer this year, uh, because of that. And I went in and it was one of those setups where I had, I'd actually been moving around all morning <laughs> and I was, I finally found a spot and it was like on a perfect pine tree uh, that you could have jacked up 40 feet. Uh, no problem. Get, get set up. And I'm not in the saddle probably 10 seconds. Like literally I hung my gun up and it outruns this uh, doe and a buck behind her. And I, there was no time for me to get set up and moved around to be able to uh, take a good steady shot from the saddle, um, especially if you're trying to shoot behind you. <laughs> right. And uh, I ended up taking the, the freehand shot, which I shot directly under the deer because I could see the bullet <laughs> in the pine tree <laughs> that the deer was standing <laughs> in front of. Because, I mean, I suck shooting freehand. Uh, I'll tell anybody that. But, uh, yeah, I just feel like those quick shots, especially if you have to turn behind you and you don't have time to get around the tree, uh, I, I just don't have the, the same confidence. Yeah, I, I, I was actually just about to tell an almost identical story. <laughs> I was on a quarter, first morning of a quota hunt here in Florida this year and a uh, muzzleloader. Right at, right at gray light, I'm still – I've got everything hung up in the tree. I'm just getting situated, you know, in the saddle, and uh, I see an eight-point – come by on my uh on my strong side but he was like when i first saw him he was like 10 yards at this point it wasn't even shooting light yet so he's he's eating acorns and i could i could just tell he was a decent rack buck and he went right underneath me and by this time i could see him plain as day but have been my climber i wouldn't have even attempted this shot because he would have been right under the platform but you know i, I spun around i'm looking through my see-through or actually, at the time, I forgot I had see-through scope mounts. So I got a little jacked up. But <laughs> I looked through the scope, and uh, I should have just waited. But I tried to shoot straight down at him and ended up just getting a bunch of white hair and brought a dog out. You know, typical, tragic, no-deer story. God, that sounds just <laughs> like my buck in December. Good Lord. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, I, I, I think – I think there's a time and a place for everything. Honestly, like if we're being honest with ourselves, I think there's a time and a place for everything. Bow hunting unqu- unflinchingly, the 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 saddle is like the clear winner, and it's not even close. Um, I think as you approach longer distances, I'm with you guys almost entirely, and it's one of those situations where um, if you're shooting long distances, you're really wanting to reach out there. I think having, um, especially especially if you can't. Um, if you can't like put a screw in, in because in some of the places where I hunt, I can put a screw in like bow hanger in, um, mm-hmm. and I'm, and I'm working with someone to design one that can be strapped to the tree real tightly for public land where you can't do that. Um, and one of the things that, 
uh, I found is if you can put that there, then you get you get that nice good shooting rest, right? You get that you know you're already in a sitting position, you're already pretty pretty stable. I put my knee in against the tree, um, and so if I can have a branch naturally there, if I can have you know that that you know screw in arm or something there, um, I'm pretty good. But I'm probably still limited to about 100 yards, maybe 150. You know, everything's ideal. You know, I, I shoot a really flat shooting gun, so my margin of error is pretty high. Um, I think if if I wanted to shoot beyond that, I think I'd have to have like a rail in front of me. But I, but most of the places I hunt, I don't have shots that far either. So right, it's not really much of an issue. I mean, every deer I shot this year was 50 yards or closer. Yeah. So yeah, it, me too. It, it works pretty well. I'm 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 pretty happy with. It. I'm pleased. I'm pleased to see you get into it as well because I think I think. Hunters in Florida really, um, I mean, honestly, between between the, the the difficulty of getting where you're going, I mean, a lot of times you mentioned uh, Florida, and I kind of want to touch on that here in a second, but, you know, a lot of swamps, a lot of waiting, a lot of nasty places to go. Reducing that profile is not even really the weight savings, even though you can save a lot of weight when you do that. I think it's, I think it hasn't even begun to peak in this state. And I think it, it might be the last state to continue to peak just because I think, uh, with the advent of e-bikes and, and how easy and smooth things are, I think we're starting to kind of question what normal trends we have maybe haven't been, you know, maybe could be improved upon. Does that make any sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And these guys, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of haters on saddle hunters and I, I get it. I'm a firefighter is one thing we, you know, we can't stand this change, so I, I can understand. Be resistant to change, so. But uh, I mean, they're just—I don't know—they're just missing out. It's—it's it's so much easier, so much more convenient. Like you said, when you're bow hunting, um, yeah, I don't know. I couldn't have made some of those hikes in Kentucky for sure with this, without a saddle this year. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I could see but that for sure. Um, same thing around here. It's a lot easier in mean, the 98 degree season well yeah i mean honestly that's chase i think i cut you off go ahead buddy no i was just laughing oh 98 okay. degrees. <laughs> i think i think that's the big that's where it really starts to shine is and this is the same thing i've said about um uh e-bikes or kayaks or stuff anything that reduces the amount in which something is unpleasant that reduces friction that makes the process smoother maybe not easier but just smoother dude i am all for that like that is a no-brainer. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about North Florida. For the listener who doesn't hunt North Florida, I don't believe we've ever had uh, a North, especially a Northeast, but a North Florida guy on Chase. You're kind of North Central Florida. We won't count you. Um, but what, what's what's the terrain look like in that area, and what are some of the challenges that you face? Well. Um... There's, like I said, it's a lot of timber company property. Um, a lot of the WMAs don't get burned near like they should. And then, you know, they're, a lot of them are old timber company property. So you got just vast seas of pine rows and gallberries. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a river or a creek running through it, you got some diversity there. But um, for the most part, you just got old, dry uh, swamp strands running through it. Um, occasional cypress pond uh get along the coast you got some some marsh stuff as you get up uh, closer to georgia and then in south georgia um you can get into some marsh type scenarios on the coast but 
yeah, it's just uh, it's 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 tough. There's not not a ton of white oaks. I've got a few property, a few WMAs I hunt that have some white oaks, but the water oak is king around here. Um, I killed deer on water oaks from September to January. Um, so it just if you're hunting public land around here, that that your food sources are a lot different than than most places. Sure. You know, it's it's funny. The popularity of water oaks is like a foreign thing. The listener has probably heard me chronicle that to no end, so I'm not going to go into it much. But it's one of those things where um, I always thought water oaks were not very preferred. And every person this year who's come on um, since I killed my doe back in October is like, yeah, dude, water oaks in this area? Water oaks, man. I'm like, dude, I I was trained for years, and this kind of goes back to – maybe who your mentors are, but, uh, I was trained for years not to hunt water oaks and it seems like that was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think part of what turns people off to them is there's just a lot of places they're they're just everywhere. Um, there's just tons of water oak acorns all over the ground. And uh, I mean, I've killed deer on the, the few white oaks that I know about. Um, WMA I've been hunting most of my life. I've killed three bucks under those white oaks but i've killed just as many on the water oaks and other places where there are no white oaks you know they're they're going to be feeding on on the water oaks it's just yeah i mean and, and the cool thing about them you know chase you remember when warren uh warren womack was on the show he was talking about hunting and chasing those food sources throughout the years when when um i went in and um Actually, Warren talked about nuttall oaks and how some of the oaks drop later. Ricky, you brought up how they kind of seem to linger around year-round. When I went and chased uh, hogs here recently, I started thinking about all that and those preferred food trees and the encounters that I've had here this year. And I and I told my little brother, he's like, okay, so where are we going? Why are we going? I was like, well, first off, there's a water oak grove back here. And we're basically going to check water oak to water oak until we find rooting, crunched up acorns, or acorns sitting on the ground. And, and tracks around it. And sure enough, we just bounced from grove to grove to grove. And some of them didn't have them. But you'd find one. And you'd start seeing, you know, pig scat everywhere. And then all of a sudden, you'd see crunched up acorns all over the place. And we, we ended up getting on a lot of pigs just simply finding that spot, getting their, uh, you know, last hour of daylight or first hour of, of sunrise or two hours, you know, however you want to look at it. And, uh, you know, here they come. Deer would come by. Pigs would come by. They'd hit that same tree every day. It was, it was very interesting. Yeah, yeah, and then there's 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 still there's even though it's you know deep into so-called winter around here, there's still so much for them to eat. Um, so it's not like they're coming there to you know strap on the on the on the feed bag and, and right. eat all night. But um, it's definitely a, a big part of their diet. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I um... but they they can they can browse till the cows come home. There's still a lot of green around here. <laughs> yes, they can. It's kind of unreal, actually, how much food's out there. Especially if you get a if you get any kind of management of the place where they have the burns or they start doing all the the fourth rowing and every, fifth rowing and everything that they're doing right now on that uh, in some of those areas. I mean, it's I mean, there's food everywhere. I mean, I guarantee you, if you were to cut cut their, uh, you know, if you were to look at their cut, it's all you know, like half half acorns and half half green things. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. What what big plans do you have for this upcoming year here in in Georgia and Florida? 
Uh, well, um, got, of course, looking forward to turkey season. Um, definitely be doing quite a bit of hunting in Florida and Georgia. Um, going to South Florida, I drew a decent quota down there, surprisingly. Just picked Uh-oh. that up today. So, should be down there for the opener. And then uh, got a Kentucky turkey trip planned. And then next year, I'm actually doing a little bit more out-of-state stuff. Got Kentucky and Kansas next year. Uh, other than that, I'll just be hopping the different WMAs nearby. Dude, you need you need to add some of those Georgia quotas to the list. Yeah, yeah. I actually I, the quote I drew this year ended up, you know, uh, between work and sure, my wife had some health problems, and thankfully everything's great now. She's amazing. Lets me do all this stuff that I want to do without giving me too much hassle about it. Um, I wasn't able to hunt much as I quote hunt but yeah I definitely want to hit some more Georgia quotas for sure <laughs> yeah we need to we need to link up and, and kind of put in for some similar deals I don't know how many preference points you have but I have some ideas and um you know I'm, I'm a little frustrated we're a little spoiled here in Florida you can get those leftover tags in Georgia they're like yep nope put in for what you want and you better hope you get it <laughs> whereas at least during the season here there's hope every Monday morning <laughs> well a little bit of hope but. <laughs> yeah yeah well no when you got people like nick chandler down there and adam glass trying to suck up all the all the quota tags they can get those sorry jokers they yeah, they were t- that's true they were telling us chase what was it was the system i'm gonna butcher the story if i don't if i don't have have your help it was the system you could buy everything you wanted and and then they changed it was that what it was uh, the, I think the, a lot of the system, well, it used to be where if you were like the first person to log on, that's you right. You get the leftover quotas and then they changed it to where there's like a time frame now where you got, what is it? You got to put in for them on Saturdays or something. I think that's right. Yeah. To have a redraw on Tuesday or something along those lines. So it makes it a little bit more difficult. Um, there were several this year that I, as like every week, a uh, redraw would pop open for a couple of them. And I was putting in for every week and just couldn't buy a redraw. I had me, a couple of my buddies, all of us were putting in for these redraws and none of us got any of the redraws. So I know the feeling it's, it's, it's equivalent to winning the lottery when you pick up a redraw. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when you had to go to the tax collector's office to pick up your quota permits and you could, I think you could sell them and, they were transferable back then. Really? Yeah. Right. Wow. Some that, that's of them, surprising. Some of them are still transferable. Yeah, mm. I think uh, like Green Swamp. <laughs> that's a huge place. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and there's somebody still gotta, going dead government chase. <laughs> and it's like the lottery. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I, well, I think James uh, Stovall came on and told that like yeah. his, he got it from his buddy, so it was transferable. That's right. Um, and uh, but that that's a huge that's a huge place. Um, but there are some. And those are high dollar tags, if, or if you you can sell those. I mean, if you draw that one, you can sell those for like five hundred dollars. If you draw one of those, yeah, yeah, the, they they've got some good deer down in that area. But um, talk to us a little bit about your quota, uh, like your quota strategy. Does that change from just your your regular management hunt? Because quotas tend to usually either be three days four days or if you're lucky some of them are a week or 10 days 
do you, do you have any strategies on that? Are you still trying to find go in and scout before the season and find buck beds, or is it totally different? Um, not so, not so much on those. Um, I've the past few years, um, you know, in the past, I would just try to get as, as far as far away from people as I could and sit there all day, and uh, that worked out for me. But recently, I've been trying to uh, identify like more so the bedding areas and uh I, i'll either sit all day on something like a trail coming in and out of there essentially i'm in my mind i'm trying to hunt escape routes so especially if it's a crowded place if it's not that crowded then i'll kind of get away from it but if it's a crowded place i'm going to try to hunt some escape routes coming out of those thicker areas uh, or into them um especially on some of the ones i've hunted before and, and i kind of know i know the deal but uh yeah, that's that's my plan. Quota hunts, nine times out of ten, I'm sitting daylight to dark in the same place unless the wind is just, you know, absolutely wrong for it, um, or or something happens middle of the day. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much my strategy: get in there, not amongst the people, but amongst the escape routes, and hope the people do what I know they're gonna do. They go to lunch at noon. <laughs> Does that does that change based on the amount of access the property has had previously? Yeah. So, so the quote I, I drew this year, the one I'm actually, you know, I shot that buck on and didn't find it. Um, this one was a more a little bit more exclusive. I think they only take in 15, 10 or 15 guys. So I knew there wasn't going to be a bunch of people stomping around. So I, uh, I just hunt, hunted an oak hammock that was – pretty far in there I, I just i accessed it from not your typical way so um if you access the way everybody else comes in it would be just shy of two miles uh, in there um and i just came in a different way um a harder way but a shorter way and somewhere where i wasn't disturbing walking through the deer uh the bedding area but yeah it was just uh short pines and there was a big grown-up um live oak hammock and uh, the deer were just, they had trails going all through there, tall grass. And I planned to sit all day, but I shot that deer right at, right at first light. And uh, then after that, I just kind of bounced around with some other stuff. I had some feed trees, saw some does and stuff, but muzzle litter, so it's it's buck only. But yeah, that, so it definitely changes depending on how many people I'm expecting. And also, like you said, that particular WMA's not open for access year round they only open the gates for the hunt so a little bit less pressure than your typical place yeah i I think that has i think i'm having to adjust my expectations based on the amount of pressure previously chase chase and craig had a really good conversation about how to read sign and read complimentary hunter pressure and how that's going to impact things because i think a lot of times if the hunter sign if the hunting pressure is more minimal I tend to go too deep too quickly, and it's like the deer will be there in a week or two, but they aren't there now. Yeah. Yeah, and um, one th- another thing I look for just as much as deer sign I'm scouting, if I do find a place I'm interested in, um, I'm looking for, you know, um, people think to stay away from the hunter, they think, you know, actually seeing the hunter during the season, but I'm looking for climber marks on trees. I'm looking for, uh, you know, the Florida State flower, the orange flagging tape. 
Um, looking for that. <laughs> looking for you know, any signs of human presence before me. And a lot of times that'll, that'll keep me away if I think it's, you know, if it's fresh or if it's somebody that came in there scouting and there's something that's just jam up. If I think he's walked all over it and he's going back on it for the, for the quota, you know, that's, that's kept me away from some places before. Sometimes I go in there anyways and that guy doesn't show up. So it's hard. It's hard to say on the quota hunts are always. <laughs> a mess. It's, it's always hard to decide which strategy to go with. Yeah. 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 It's quota hunts, a, you can... a concentration of people in a short amount of time. So. Yeah. Maybe if they, like you said, if they all show up, I mean, I've seen one where it takes, where you mentioned like 15 people can be hunting it when they can all bring a guest. So technically it could be 30 people hunting it. And then you're driving around and you see like two or three trucks, like the whole time you're in there and you're like, huh, did everybody just not show up or yeah, exactly. Uh, a, a buddy of mine one time told me that, uh, a, there's a lot of like quote unquote PETA people that put in for these quota hunts. So people can't draw them. I don't know if that's true or not true, but I'm like, I, it, the evidence almost looks like that could be the case because there, there's no one there. Like, why, especially some of these like desired quota hunts where you're like, there's got to be, everybody's going to be in here the entire weekend. And then you show up and there's like three or four trucks that you see the entire weekend. Right. At the quota hunt. I dropped two points on this. Why don't you hunt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or more. Or more points. Some of them take four or five points <laughs> to get drawn. Seems Thank, like. Thankfully, there's, you know, everybody up here wants to go to Georgia and hunt. So the quotas up here, they don't take a ton of points, but it, it's getting it's getting harder to get drawn. Let me sure. let me be completely clear. There are no deer worth pursuing in the state of Georgia. So just put in for the <laughs> Northeast Florida region. Leave it. Leave it at that. And. Uh, I'll, I'll do all my predator hunting up there in Georgia and save you guys the time. That's right. Here, South Carolina is where it's at. So. Yeah, South Carolina, and, and 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 I've heard a lot of really good things about Virginia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's my favorite is when that when the when the state flower uh, blooms and and it's got the the quota dates, the number of people, and the times in which they expect to be there. Yeah. Have you seen yeah. that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, <laughs> this is a funny, kind of a funny story. It's been like three or four years ago, but I took my uh, my younger brother on a youth quota, and this guy pulls up, and I saw the flagging tape. He had it across the whole gate. It's a walk-in gate that goes back to two miles of land, and he had it across the whole gate. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm taking my son in there. He's like, you still going in? I'm like, yeah, yeah, man. It's uh, a <laughs> like I I highly doubt we're going to the same area. He's like, we're just gonna sit on the road. I'm like, okay. Good luck. I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go on past you. Good luck. But uh Yeah, yeah and, and half the time those guys don't show up. So Yeah. Well, I, one of the strategies I was told, like with a wink, wink, nod, nod, I sure got them. One dude's like, "Yeah, I put flag and tape everywhere just so I can block off a, blo- a whole block." <laughs> and I'm like, "Why? Why? Like, yeah. you know, like first off, I don't really care if you don't beat me to that spot." I mean, I, I don't really care. I had a dude one time, he put the flagging tape up. Um, he beat me to the spot, but it's this one gate that accesses literally like 1,500 acres. Like, it, it's just it's a huge chunk. And I'm walking down the trail, and all of a sudden I hear, you know, somebody whistle. 
I'm like, huh, that's cool. That's not a normal noise. I didn't even think anything about it. I keep going down the thing. All of a sudden, the Q-beam hits me in the face. And I'm like, what in the world? It's up in the tree. And I'm like, dang, am I on the path? Where did I walk to? And I get him to turn the Q-beam off. He's like, hey, man, I'm hunting right here. I'm like, okay. And I turn and look, and I'm like 400 yards from the road. And he's on the path. I was like, I'm going back there. He goes, no, I'm expecting the deer to come from there. I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it's a huge, like, it's the only path to get to this block of timber. I was like, I'm still going, I can't believe you'd walk past me. I was like, it, you're hunting on a path, dude. Like, did you think you were going to be the only person hunting this block of timber? And he was, he was kind of sore about it. We ended up meeting at the truck and he's like, I, I didn't, I didn't know. I thought there was another gate from the other direction, which I think was bull crap. I think he, he felt bad for being a, a, a jerk, but um, he's right. like, well, how, how far back did you go? And I was like, dude, like a thousand yards from you. Like I, I wasn't even close. If you're, if you're going to hunt a trail, then you need to be prepared for people to walk underneath you. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's, a. Uh... That's something you y'all could do a whole another podcast on is public land hunter ethics because I I want everybody to be able to enjoy the land that we have access to and have a good time and kill deer. So if I pull up to a gate, you know I've I've always got multiple options. So if there's trucks there and you know I think it's gonna be too crowded, I'll I'll keep on going. But um, I mean I don't know if it's just seems like it's getting worse, but I don't know if it's just because of the big public land hunter push. It's getting more popular now, and some guys, they don't really know uh, common courtesy yet. I don't know, but I think that's something we could all do a better job teaching these guys. Yeah. Well, and I bet you if we're all being honest, we could probably be a little bit better about, uh, you know, how we treat other people, which would probably help, you know, start certain things. And sometimes it's a, it's a hill worth dying on, but, you know, I – yeah. Had there been three trucks parked there, I probably would have just kept going, you know. I mean, yeah. but and also some of these quota hunts, I mean, you should you know this, there'll be a gate to access the entirety of it. Right. You know. I mean, there's nothing we can do about that. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I mean it's it, it's something that's not getting any better and 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 I find that I I do find for people who are listening to this and frustrated, if you go to places people don't want to go easily, not only will you tend to find deer if the pressure's there, but you tend to find less people. And you tend to run into the kind of people you want to be around anyways. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah, I mean, I typically only see people at the gate anyways, but I've had, you know, I've met some some, some great people at the gate and exchanged phone numbers and, you know, it, you know, just kind of become lifelong, you know, hunting buddies, you know, checking with each other, see how each other's doing, you know, dragging one out or whatever. But, yeah, it doesn't always have to be a, confrontation Mm -hmm. no it doesn't and chase is my better half man i am i live true uh to the red bearded lifestyle i am a hot-headed dude chase man i have seen him upset like one time like one time and i try every time it's like i need a a bracelet that says like what would chase do because a lot of times i'm ready to like chew somebody out for being a you know a a jerk and uh i I look at chase and he's just like hey we'll go to another spot like it's not that big a deal. <laughs> I don't understand why you're upset, but the the one time, the one time I've ever seen him lose, he didn't even lose his cool. I mean, I think I think there was a furrow to his brow, like that was the extent of it. He was just like frowning just a little bit. Uh, was when when some people were messing with us on public land, but yeah, you, know, you got to remember they have firearms too. Right. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> is it really worth it? Probably not. <laughs> you gotta be diplomatic in that situation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, Chase, you do you live to hunt another day? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Chase, do you have any follow up questions or can I hit them with my closer? I have a, a question. Do you find you're more successful with hunting beds in the morning times or the evening? Oh, good question. That's a good question. Um, definitely the evening. Um, every time I've tried to, you know, get cute and slip in way early, you know, I, a lot of times I beat them there. Uh, I happened once last year and once this year. I beat them there, but they came in and, and busted me before daylight because they, they check, you know, they do their thing. I'm, I'm guessing they're, I don't know if they're feeding or, you know, checking the wind from different spots, but they've either gone into the bedding area and I didn't get a shot. They stayed in there or they busted me before daylight. Just, just off my wind, but yeah, definitely in the afternoons. Um, I want to say since I started doing this, or trying to do this last year, um, two of the bucks I killed in the afternoons were, it was 15 to 20. One day it was, it was gusting over 20, um, and in my face. So I knew there was no chance like typical, you know, North Florida, South Georgia, the wind shift a lot. Um, but when it's blowing 20 miles an hour out of one direction, I felt pretty safe slipping in close and they can't hear you when you're getting up the tree. So, um, that, yeah. that's, that's definitely something that's stuck out to me. Like trying to keep a journal and the windier days when I'm slipping in close, I always seem to, to do better. Right. Yeah. It also probably helps when you can actually see where you're going, especially if you're trying to slip in to a bedding area, uh, as opposed to going in the dark with a headlamp or something. I always seem to be stepping on stuff, making a ton of noise uh, in the morning times when I'm walking through the woods. I just feel like it'd probably be easier to get into tight when you can actually see to get in there. Yeah, I agree. That's another good point. Yeah. I figured, and it always seems to me like the wind in the morning times, uh, I feel like I get busted more, especially when there's no wind <laughs> in the morning times. Like it's almost like your scent's going everywhere. And I assuming if you're close to the buck's bedroom and <laughs> your scent's going everywhere, then <laughs> your chances are basically slim to none uh, when, when you have a mature buck coming in uh, and that happens. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, that, the, the buck I killed this this season during both during the bow season, um, he was coming to actually hunted that spot three times because there was a hot doe in the area. But uh, I can't, I was I was only hunting it on a you know a northeast wind. That's what I was waiting for. And then he and the does came from like the morning I killed them. They came from the wrong direction, <laughs> somewhere they never came from before. And luckily he was just hot enough on their tail where he didn't. He, he messed up. I think he smelled me right as I released, <laughs> but, uh, he, uh, he, he was directly downwind uh, whenever I shot him, but I actually saw that buck three days before that in the morning and, uh, didn't get a shot on him because he was running full board chasing toes. But yeah, sometimes that, uh, the wind can really screw you up, especially the way it changes down here. 
Yeah. Uh, okay, so I have a follow-up to Chase's follow-up about this, and that is calling. Being so close to the beds, do you do any calling? Yeah. Um, so last last year, the seven-point I killed late season, uh, actually grunted whether or not that's what got him on his feet before daylight. I don't know because, I, sh- I mean, I shot him right at the last second. Um, but I, I grunted. Five minutes later, I saw a deer, you know, messing around at a scrape in there and I looked at the scope and I was like, Oh, it's got racked. <laughs> and, uh, so that one is debatable, but this, this season I actually, uh, I saw a deer chase a doe, same tree I killed my buck out of. This is a different buck though. It was a 10 point. He chased the doe in there. Didn't see how big he was into a, a bedding area that I knew about super thick, a North side of this certain terrain feature that I'm not going to name. But uh, yeah, uh, I knew he was. I knew he'd probably bedded down in there because they did that at like ten thirty in the in the you know mid morning. So uh, like I sat there all day. I didn't have anything to eat. I was, you know, I was focused on trying to kill that deer. And like four thirty, four forty five, I grunted, and uh, I mean, he definitely heard me because he was coming in on a string. He came like straight through the wide open where he shouldn't have came to. And, you know, he, he was trying to figure out who was messing around in his area for sure. Um, but, you know, I've grown in the past, but I think it was luck. I've grown bucks in in the past, blind grunting. But I definitely think it's something to be used cautiously if you know you're, you mm-hmm. know, you're within earshot of a, of a bedding area. Do you think you can, do you think you can ruin a hunt by calling? In the south? In the south, yeah. I think if you get a little too aggressive with with a, some ant, some rattling antlers, I'm, I'm I know a lot of guys that that have done it. I've never rattled on a buck down here, but um, I mean, maybe it's just my four to hunter mindset. I'm so scared. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I, I've tried tried rattling, and it's never it's never worked out for me, but. I don't think you can ruin it by grunting unless you're just, mm-hmm. you know, Buck really getting hot with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've seen – I've had mixed with the grunting. I've had them just come straight in on a string, and then I've grunted and seen them take off like <laughs> 100 miles an hour away from me <laughs> grunting. So I think it's just uh, deer have different personalities. Some are more confrontational than others. And – uh it's worth a try to me uh, either way because I'm like, well, that deer wasn't going to make it to me anyways. So I'm going to give it a try. Just a little side note for what it's worth. I had a buddy with a quote this year. Um, actually, the guy that makes the DIY saddles, Spencer Ford, he was on another podcast with uh, another fella that you all know. Um, he uh, he actually had a decent buck. Just, just out of range, and uh, this is back during bow season, which is actually the rut for that area. It's late September, and uh, he grunted, and the deer acknowledged him, but kept walking. Then he pulled out his can and, and did a little, a couple bleats, and the buck came in, and he ended up, you know, coming in behind a tree. It's one of the situations where he was at ten yards, and he almost got an arrow uh, off, but he just didn't quite get to pull the trigger on him, and, and the buck spooked. But it, I mean, there's no doubt that estrus fleet brought that buck in <laughs> he said he, he just turned about face and came straight to him yeah 
I I believe it. I <clears throat> the reason one of the reasons why I asked you that is because I've kind of come of the opinion that you can't ruin a hunt here by uh, by calling. I really I really don't think it. I I think if you if you maybe like snort wheezed at a deer, maybe you could spook it off. But I think it's very difficult. Um, I I've done calling and calling sequences and then had deer just walk out like nonchalant, like nothing ever happened afterwards, you know, just doing their whole thing. And, um, I come the rut under ideal circumstances. I call a man like 30, 40 minutes, man. Like I, every 30, 40 minutes I'm, you know, calling in some way, shape or form, um, blind calling. I have no problems doing it. Um, the let's see here for a second two of the deer in the last three years that i've killed i've killed with by having called i've called does to the uh to the base of my tree stand with a rattling sequence um i have called in six deer between southeast georgia and here bucks with with grunt tubes uh two in the north georgia mountains i it doesn't work often but i don't think it necessarily hurts but one of the things I do with rattling sequences, and I called in a deer. I don't know what it was, but it came in behind me downwind and, and tore off this year. Um, I don't like smack the antlers around. If you, if I, I encourage everybody who's listening, if you're in the woods and uh, and you you get a chance to hear deer rattling, listen to what it is in in the woods. It's a lot of like tinkling and and tickling of antlers. That's what I do. I don't even call it like rattling, but there's no other. I wouldn't call it that, but there's no other really good term for it. Um, but it's just like a, uh, half hazard, you know, half-assed fight basically. Right. Like they're just kind of sizing each other up. Cause I don't think there's a whole lot of actual fighting being done here. Yeah. Unless you're at Chase's place where all his deer are busted up by December. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've, heard, I've never, I've never personally heard a fight down here. I've, I've heard, I heard one in Kentucky this year, but, uh, I've got a friend who was hunting a, a WMA that we usually know about, and he heard one went on for, I think he said it was just shy of 30 minutes. Um, he said they were just wow, non, just nonstop. I mean, it wasn't like knockdown drag out, but um, he said, you know, you can, you can definitely hear it, hear it. He said they were about 100 yards away, and it was dark, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I mean it, it. It happens. I, I've got no. I've got no bones about it. I just don't think it's Kansas where you know you smack the antlers around and here come three or four bucks from different you know different angles. Um, but right. so here's here's my concluder for you, Ricky. And I ask everybody uh, of the podcast some variation of this at the very, very tail end of the podcast. If you could go back to young Ricky, the earliest deer hunting Ricky, and say, "Hey, here's this one singular piece of advice that's going to change." the way you pursue the outdoors what what other than don't take out the loan for the lease what would you tell him <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question um i think it, it would have to be scouting with purpose um i've always been a big believer in scouting but in my earlier years it was kind of like uh more like wandering than mm-hmm. it was scouting <laughs> it's kind of aimless but now you know i almost have a strategy and i've got a game plan before i go to a new place i've got pins dropped and um 
I can't tell you how many spots I've found. I'm like, oh man, this is awesome. And then keep going. I don't pick out a tree. I don't think about the prevailing winds, what the prevailing winds are going to be that time of year. I just keep on rolling. Then I come back during deer season. I'm standing there for 30 minutes trying to figure out which tree I'm going to climb. Um, so that, that's something I've definitely improved on the last few years is just taking all those things into account when I'm scouting. Like, okay, if I come here, what's the wind probably going to be? If it's this, where am I going to sit? What what do I need to bring? Uh, is mm-hmm. this a saddle scenario, climber, uh, lock on ground, whatever? Um, yeah, I think scouting with purpose and, and don't underestimate, you know, what scouting can do for you. Right on. I, I killed it, man. Do you do you find yourself? I told you that was my concluder, but now I have to ask the question. Do you do you find yourself taking in all your gear and then sometimes just sitting on the ground or taking it all in just because you don't know if you're going to hunt there or not? From a from a saddle per se. Uh oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, so I think I've done that once this year. Um, I usually end up finding a tree again, but. Uh, actually, I missed a buck in Kentucky doing that, sitting on the ground. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I typically try to get up in a tree around here. It's, I want to kill one off the ground. It's just, it's a different, it's a different animal down here than it is in the Midwest. But especially, I mean, with a bow, sure, uh, particularly. But, but yeah, I, uh, I'm not, a, I'm definitely not opposed to sitting on the ground if the situation calls for it. Good deal, man. Well, uh, is your is your uh, tracking dog service up and running? Are you still training her? Oh, I don't know if it's a, I call it a service. Uh, <laughs> he's 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 fully trained. He's uh he's got several under his belt, but he's he's older. But uh, if a friend calls, I'll, I'll definitely load him up and and go out. So if y'all need a hand? Just call me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I dang near needed you this this past year, past October. So. Oh, I'm glad to know you're in the area. Next time, I'm going to align my break with your break, though. That way, uh, uh, if, if if I need you, you'll be available. We'll, we'll just hunt together. That's what we'll do. We'll just hunt together. Sounds good to me. I'll send you all of my doe pictures and let you know where they're at. <laughs> hey, now, you asked Chase. That joke is not as funny as you thought it was because I will shoot every doe that you send me and be, and be like – it could have been a 130-inch buck. I'd be grinning ear to ear to shoot two does. So, we'll uh, – oh, well, we're on the same page there. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hang on one second. I'm going to close this out. Okay. Guys, thank you for tuning in for another episode. I know deer season's winding down. You're probably getting that turkey itch. And I know that firsthand that Ricky's got some good turkey uh, stories that he can share with us. So here's here's my thinking. Flood his Instagram with requests to come back on the podcast. Just fully inundate him with a bunch of direct messages saying you want him to come back on Talk Turkey. And then either I'm going to go over there and he and I are going to chase pigs or we're going to find some time to get up together. He chase and I chase turkeys, do something, and we'll try and record one live about turkey hunting or pig hunting or something fun. But most importantly, no matter what you do, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. 
Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.